uh, I was building that 48-volt lithium battery, right? And um, I was using a voltmeter to get a measurement. But I used the cable that is actually used to, uh, used to be used for power supply. It does not have an insulation at the connectors. So when I unplugged it from the multimeter, the two ends attached while being connected to a 48-volt battery that serves up to 10 kilowatts of power. So it basically um, sublimated the, the metal, which uh, created a metal powder surface on my finger. When I entered the ER, they actually thought that it was a burning, which it wasn't. So in the end, it was actually not that bad. So. Um, I still do build those batteries. So. All right, today um, I'm sharing a little bit of our research we are doing, um, you know, as part of our um, efforts to build Kubernetes-based operators to run data services. Um, so a few words about myself. I'm Julian Fischer, and I'm running a company called Any9s. We are building cloud development platforms with a strong focus on data service automation. We've been automating data services for nearly 10 years uh, based on virtual machines across infrastructures at scale, as well as now, obviously, on Kubernetes natively using pods. Don't want to bore you with that uh, shameless self-advertisement, so let's get to it. Um, primary goal here is today um, so when I talk about an operator, I'm not talking about an operator that operates a single database. We, we are mostly uh, seeing situations where companies want to create hundreds or thousands of databases, so automating the lifecycle to operate those standard database use cases. It's not about that special, special case where you really need custom stuff. It's, um, that is the general attitude we have towards automation. Now, with an intercluster instance, this is a bit different because whenever you want to stretch a Postgres database across infrastructure regions, uh, across multiple Kubernetes clusters in this case, I think we are looking at a more custom use case because uh, those inter-region uh, Postgres scenarios, they require a bit of knowledge about the application. Uh, otherwise, the latency can you know, become problematic quite easily. So we are sticking to the conceptual level a bit. Um, and um, if you remind a few talks I gave earlier at the DOK, one of which was how to create a asynchronous streaming replication cluster on Postgres, where we basically created um, a stateful set within headless service. Um, no failover, anything fancy, just setting up the streaming replication. So that's a bit of the idea of the local cluster, just to understand the topology. If you would like to be reminded how this works at learnanynines.kubernetes.com, there's a tutorial on how to do that. You can follow through. I'm giving a lecture about this at a local University of Applied Sciences. Um, so if you, if you have time and you want to look into that, it's a good predecessor to revisit the talk here. So we're assuming uh, there's a local a container image, you could use the official Postgres or, you know, um, we are using, for building our operator, uh, the Patroni cluster manager, which comes with its own container image. Usually you define a headless service to be able to address the individual pods using DNS entries that will be maintained for you, and of course, a stateful set. Config configuration values, you can keep in a config map, 
and you know your credentials and a secret. So, so far, standard stuff. Now, what if we take that and want to stretch that across uh, multiple Kubernetes clusters? So our first assumption was, well, we just take one cluster, assume that this cluster will run a stateful set each uh, with a replica of one. So there will be one pod per cluster. Here in this example, three clusters, three pods. And how can we connect them in order to form a Postgres cluster? <clears throat> now, the gist of this talk, and that would be the main takeaway, would be it all boils down to the question, how can you do the network connection across those Kubernetes clusters? So pod-to-pod -pod communication across cluster boundaries is basically the thing we are researching. And um, I mean, it was a time constraints research. Um, so we digged up two ways that appeared to be um, you know, feasible. One would be Istio and the other would be Cilium. I'll go into greater details of, uh, into Cilium because Istio um, didn't turn out to be as simple to set up. So we got two engineers, they got the same time frame, and one got to manage a working solution based on Cilium, and the other got stuck with Istio. Doesn't mean that Istio is, uh, is bad or shouldn't be considered, uh, but it um, just hasn't worked out in the same time frame. Um, so this may tell a story or maybe up to the individual I don't know, um, performance of, of the engineers. Now, one of the takeaways when looking at Istio is that at least the, the way it was set up in our experiments was that Istio uses a sidecar. So basically, whenever you create a service instance, there will be another container in your pod that runs a gateway. You will talk to that sidecar container in order to get uh, multi-cluster communication, which has some drawbacks. And two stick out, one would be this is not available during the pod initialization. So if you do something in init containers that require multi-cluster communication, this could be a constraint. And the other would be the sidecar, uh, sidecar container obviously requires a bit of resources. And if you do that like many times, which I don't think is really the case with inter-cluster service instances. However, if you do that many times, the overhead will multiply. Um, so that being said, there are ways to combine Cilium and Istio. There are, I think, there are also ways with Istio that do not require a sidecar. So all of that, you'd have to research a bit closer in your particular context. So one takeaway from looking at um, how to uh, automate a data service across multiple Kubernetes clusters was also, well, you don't have the advantage of uh, stateful sets if you have multiple clusters. So for example, ordinality and stable network identity is something you'd have to take care of yourself. And whatever automation you have that's, you know, assuming there's a stateful set or the constraints of the stateful sets to be there, it cannot be just um, transferred to the multi-cluster scenario right away. I don't think it's a big issue, but still it would be nice. Maybe you could even create, um, you know, a controller that imitates the stateful set, but in a distributed way, using a, a, you know, a state replication mechanism that uh, provides you with sufficient consistency guarantees. So, all right, so this just shows that there is a pod, uh, a container in the pod that gives you a gateway. In the example that we've been experimenting with, we are using that Petroni-based approach. If you are familiar with Petroni a bit, 
um, then you know that if you if you try to do leader election in Postgres, you need somehow to ensure that there are not two masters at the same time if you're using asynchronous replication. So there's a primary, that's the modern terminology, I think, and there are two secondaries, for example. You don't want uh, you know, two application instances writing to two different primaries. So ETCD here provides guarantees that you can you know, um, ensure that only one of the primaries can be, um, you know, one of the nodes can be a primary at the same time. So in the intercluster example, we just took an ETCD and stretched it across um, the same nodes. Um, so in this case, two clusters, but uh, you get the idea. And then configure Patroni to use that ETCD cluster as its uh, distributed configuration store. Now going down the path with Cilium, same approach, but using Cilium, the uh, conclusion was, or the observation was that it's uh, not using a sidecar. Everything happens at the Kubernetes load node level where there's a Cilium agent um, using um, a technology called EBPF, I think, um, which is basically like a bytecode injection um, into the Linux kernel. It's really fast, so it's much faster than IP tables, for example, at scale. And very nicely, once you've configured Cilium, it's transparent, which means um, you can have multi-cluster communication through a service. So you'll create a service with a special annotation, and uh, you do that across all the three clusters, and you have multi-cluster communication. From there on, it's basically building you know, that stateful set-like experience using pods and services. As of today, Cilium is supported across major platform providers, so you can basically get it for Amazon, Google Cloud Platform, whatever. If you are in an on-premise scenario, it's worth checking whether whatever Kubernetes flavor you're using provides you know, a Cilium uh, for it and whether it's compatible with your networking, but I'm positive that um, it'll work somehow. So yeah, I think there's not, a much, not enough time to go into the Cilium details, but it's worth mentioning that it uses that eBPF approach, which is uh, rather interesting. So in the end, you have a similar uh, setup. You'd have uh, two or multiple clusters, and um, you'd have the pods of where the service instance run alongside with this ETCD and they would be communicating to other pods and the other clusters using a service. So it's, it's actually a very neat thing that worked out of the box without too much hassle in a very time-constrained experiment. So I personally think um, it's, from the technical perspective, not really a big problem to get this up and running. It's more an interesting question, what are exactly the use case scenarios for this? Because, for example, asynchronous streaming replication with, uh, let's say, Germany, Europe, and Asia will create large replication lags, and with, whenever you do a switch over, you'd have a, a serious uh, risk for um, data loss. So, for example, this would be applicable in a situation where you have very little writes uh, and many reads, and um, you know strict consistency is not a it's not a big issue. So they also the research put together uh, a bit of a comparison. I'll spare you reading that to you now. Um, to me, the takeaways were that Cilium was 
um, easier to set up. You, you, it doesn't use a sidecar or doesn't force you to use a sidecar approach. Uh, however, it requires you to have a certain degree of control over the Kubernetes cluster. So if you have a Kubernetes cluster as a given thing and you cannot modify it, then you may not be able to use Cilium, which appears to be not really the case. Most, most of the Kubernetes distros will, will give you the ability to create uh, a Cilium um, installation. However, I'm not ranting about Istio in any, any way. I think it's also worth having a look. Um, but if using the sidecar approach, keep in mind there will be some additional resources. All right, conclusions are pretty simple. It's, uh, I think it's feasible. The experiment shows that there's a straightforward thing to do. The applicability is one of the things you want to look at. And um, yeah, that idea with distributed stateful set is something I'll take as homework because um, maybe, maybe somebody already did that and I don't know if mm, definitely worth looking into. As I said, if, you, if you're interested in uh, how to set up Postgres manually, not to build a production-grade solution, but just to know how it's, you know, how the streaming replication works and so on, there's a tutorial here for free. Um, there's also video recording of that, so if you want to do uh, that, would be a way to go. There's a, a little demo um, on how such um, how the experiment basically um, works. Uh, we sped up the entire process. It basically creates uh, two kind clusters or three kind clusters at a, on a local computer, installs Cilium, and um, once the, these are created, uh, we manually create a, a record in the current primary and ensure that it is replicated uh, to the secondary. So that's basically the visual showing you that we can replicate data across cluster boundaries with the concept I just showed you. So from the effort perspective, I can tell this wasn't, you know, weeks or months, well, weeks maybe, but not months of work. Um, also, that wasn't their primary objective during that time. So as I said, it's pretty much a straightforward thing to do. We keep you updated with um, when, whenever we touch that topic again, may certainly come up with additional updates in subsequent talks. Feel free to reach out if you have a demand for this and would be curious to see this uh, implemented somewhere. Uh, we are always looking for use case scenarios that we could learn from. All right, let me see. Video's been, I think, over. If there are any questions at this point, just feel free to ask. Otherwise, well, thanks a lot for your attention. Hopefully, you, that was worth the time. We've got a question. And is it or is it not pizza related? <laughs> it's difficult. It's about MySQL. No, just kidding. Now, uh, how does the backup fit in that uh, architecture? Well, backups you'd usually create from a primary in such a situation because that would be the one that's mostly up to date. And the backup um, in our operator, for example, would be declared. So you'd have a CRD to declare a backup. It's basically a local backup. Um, whether you want to replicate a backup across regions would be something interesting. Yeah, my, mine is more about using 
as a fallback, the, the actual object store backups, for example, wall files, in case the network communication goes down temporarily on the other side. You know, that was just, you know, if I mean, that you could mean be what an if option. One, one uh, region goes down and what happens then? Is that the no, if the network communication maybe temporarily goes down, you could use uh, the object stores. You know, the wall files that are stored in the object store as a temporary, you know, as a fallback mechanism. So I was wondering if you had planned the backups in that scenario or not. No, I don't okay. think it uses okay. the That's backups for that scenario. Okay. Well, it's, you, you could do the... You could make the operator do something like that, but one of the interesting questions would be how do you get a backup and you know globally distributed um, but you could try to access you know the, the objects or where backups are stored, but if the entire region is you know out of order, you need to replicate those objects from the object store as well somehow, which I think most cloud providers can do. Rather yeah, yeah, soon. yeah, exactly. I mean, there's several maybe. Yeah, yeah interesting thought though. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Thank you.